Welcome to Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. This podcast is a ministry of Bible Baptist Church of Sodus. I am your host, Pastor Nick Boothman. With me today is Pastor Jay Riggleman. He is the senior pastor of Bible Baptist Church of Sodus. Welcome, Pastor Jay. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be with you again. So, Pastor Jay, why does a loving, all-powerful God allow so much evil and suffering? Wow, that's a, uh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? And, uh, and a very legitimate one, because, Nick, we, we see on a daily basis and all around us, both locally, nationally, and globally, and far too often, personally, we, we witness intense evil that appears to go unchecked and, and suffering that's abounding. Uh, even just recently in my own observation, we've had these mass shootings and we have ongoing uh, sex trafficking and the atrocities that took place in Israel and, and, and other things that happen seemingly on an hourly basis. And people step back, both people of faith and people that are struggling with their faith, and they wonder, where is God in all of this? So this is a very um, legitimate but very uh, intense uh, question that we want to unpack a little bit um, and then get into some of the practicalities of it. So, Yeah, absolutely. This is a question that people ask themselves all the time. They ask people in the church because this is something we struggle with. God is all-powerful, and he's good. That's what we're claiming. That's what the Bible claims. So how does it work out when something happens that seems like it's out of control and seems like it's not good? And that's what we're going to explore today. So I'm really excited to dive into this because I, I do think it's very, uh, it hits us where we're at and the Bible does address these things. So Pastor Jay, why, how would you answer this question? Why does a loving, all-powerful God allow so much evil and suffering in this world? Well, again, Nick, there's not just uh, one simple answer uh, to this question. Uh, there are several things I think the Bible uh, kind of directs us to be thinking about. And I do think that sometimes people, um, their response is sometimes simplistic, where they, they, they want to reconcile this by saying, you know, why doesn't God just fix everything? Why doesn't he just um, take, care of, take care of everything right now and override what's happening in our world? Well, one way to answer that is to understand that a genuine relationship with God is only possible for people who are given the freedom to choose. If, if we uh, look at relationships and, and we kind of force people uh, to love us, is that really a loving relationship? Uh, people were not made as robots. Um, this is good and loving on behalf of God. But that also means that people are free to love God or reject him. And this free will that we have also includes evil actions and subsequent suffering, as we see even at the beginning uh, of creation with the choice that Adam and Eve made and and the evil and suffering that came quickly after that, because God didn't uh, make them uh, love him. He didn't create them in that way. They had the freedom to choose. And with that comes these other things, even with an all-powerful, all-loving God. Absolutely. We're very quick to blame God for these things. And we have to take a step back and, and go to our Bibles. And it's very clear, like you said, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, that it's our fault, not God's. That's, that's um, God made us with that choice. And Adam and Eve chose sin. And that had uh, very serious con- consequences for all of us. Um, second 
question, unless you had more to say about that. No. Okay. Um, second question is, do you think um, God is punishing us? Because of all the evil and suffering in the world? Um, well, I'm going to say yes and no. I do think that we, we um, deserve the consequences of our sin, of the sin that's in this world, because he's a holy God. But another way that I would answer that is that sin's consequences, they touch both the innocent and the guilty, because Romans 5.12 tells us that, um, you know, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and then uh, death through sin, and then death is, and sin is passed on to all people, which means it touches both the innocent and the guilty. Uh, as we see in some of these uh, different evil situations where uh, the, the person or some of the people that are touched by the sin are not directly responsible for it, but they do um, uh, have some of the consequences touch them or some of the ramifications of these evil choices touch their lives. And that's because um, there's, there's two types of evil, maybe more than two, but just two that I want to allude to. Uh, there's such thing as moral evil, which is the results of the actions of free creatures. So the idea of murder and theft and violence, uh, these are the, uh, the results, again, of free creatures choosing, but having moral evil. But those things like murder and theft and violence, they can touch innocent people. That's just part of the way that it works. And then there's also natural evil, which is the results from natural processes like floods and earthquakes. And sin has affected all of that. And again, the innocent and the guilty are caught up in this. And this is part of uh, the design of our world because of the sin that we uh, brought into this world by our free, uh, free will and our free choices. And it does you know, impact both uh, people that are directly and indirectly involved. Absolutely. So to kind of further that point, um, some of the, the evil and the suffering in this world, um, how much of that, if any, should we uh, think through it being the result of my sin? When we're thinking about where does God play into this, um, and you're talking about where, you know, where, how this evil comes out with the moral evil and the natural e evil. Could this be a result of somebody's sin, some of the evil in this world? Again, yes. Uh, yes, and, and a little bit of a no, but yes, because there can be very direct consequences of um, our sin on ourselves, that if we, if we uh, you know, murder or we steal, we could have consequences of going to jail, or someone could retaliate and we could face physical harm. And, and, or there's other things that we do, we sin, and then there are consequences even against our own body um, when we sin or make sinful choices. So are, those things can be directly related. But I also need to keep in mind that God does not override the, the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6 says that we will sow what we reap. That's not just individually that I will sow what I reap, but the idea is I also live in a sinful world. And unfortunately, what that means is I will also reap the evil that's in this world. It, it can touch me even as a person who's not, again, directly involved in that sin decision. So somebody sinfully decides to get drunk and drive a car. Could that have an impact on me even though I didn't take the drink and I wasn't driving the car? The answer is yes. 
And people might say, well, why doesn't God stop every drunk driver or God stop every, uh, you know, sex trafficker? Well, partly because he doesn't override that, um, those laws of, of sowing and reaping. Uh, it's just part of the consequence of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the million-dollar question a lot of people ask is, why doesn't God just fix it right now and take out all, all the evil, just wipe it all out? Well, he will, but why doesn't he do it right now? Well, simply put, but maybe not so simply, in order for God to not allow evil and suffering, Nick, here's what would have to happen. He would have to eliminate all people. Because even that, that innocent person at that one time that was maybe affected by someone else's decisions, does that person have the capability of, of committing an evil act? The answer is yes, because the Bible says, for all have sinned. So we're all capable of participating in evil and participating in suffering. So in order for God to remove all of this, he would have to get rid of people, and that would remove all the evil acts in this world. Uh, so God would have to take us all out. And while some people are more evil than others, where would God draw the line? You know, who who gets to choose? Now, I I know that uh, I have certain um, guidelines or boundaries in my mind where if I was really choosing, there are certain people maybe I would say don't deserve to be here, but I'd let others in. But then that, that boundary line moves for each one of us. But a holy God would have to get rid of everybody. And we're reminded in Scripture that one time, He almost did that, but he found grace, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God could fix it, but we'd all have to be gone. Absolutely, and um, I'm thinking of the the passage to add to the conversation, 2 Peter 3, I think it is, where um, some people are, are questioning God's timing of, you know, why, why doesn't he come back? Why, why isn't it? Why is it now? What's going on? Why is God taking so long? And, and part of Peter's answer has to do with God wants more and more people to come to him. So we might question God's plan and say, why doesn't God wipe out all, all the evil right now? And to your point, uh, um, uh, which is a good point, he'd have to eliminate all of us. Right? He wants, like, just like the Apostle Peter is saying, he wants more and more of us. Uh, the more time, the more people that can make that decision, um, believe in the gospel, repent of their sins, and have everlasting life. And God delights in more and more people coming to him. And and that, that means more time. So where does God's sovereignty fit into this conversation because people, um, you know, the two parts, if if God is, um, in control, sovereign, and if he's good, why is there evil? What, what would you say about, um, the sovereignty aspect? If God is sovereign, why, why is evil still going on? Well, Nick, one of the things that I think is really clear in the scriptures, but, um, we often overlook it or maybe we don't spend as much time thinking about it, is that God's sovereignty doesn't guarantee the absence of pain or loss. 
as we look through many of the uh, narratives and stories in Scripture and the people that uh, we're familiar with in Scripture and their lives that they led, um, we, we're reminded that God was in control throughout their lives, but we're also reminded that their lives were not smooth and, and free from evil and free from pain and free from loss. God promises to show compassion to us as we trust him in the midst of our struggles. That's part of the control or sovereignty of God is uh, that back and forth between God being there and us trusting him even in those difficult times. And I would also say that not fully understanding the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Just because I don't fully understand it doesn't mean he doesn't care when I'm going through these difficulties or when I see these terrible things happening in the world around us. Uh, Paul said that all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. And the purpose is to become more like Christ. And all things means all things, not just the good things, but the things that God even allows in our lives because pain and loss are never wasted by God. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. It, I, when you were talking, I was talk, thinking about Joseph and we get a, a clear um, instance of so much evil and suffering in his life. And I can imagine being Joseph and just, God, I'm, I'm following you. I'm rotting in prison. You know, God, I'm, <laughs> my brothers hate me and all these things. And he looks back after all these things happen and talking to his brothers, you guys meant this for evil, but God meant this to fulfill his purposes. He meant it for good. So God was there each step of the way. And even you look at just each moment and you say, God, what are you doing in this? What are you doing in this? What are you doing in this? And then Joseph can look at the tail end of his life and saying, God was in control the entire time. He is sovereign and I don't understand it, but God used it for his purposes. Yes, and when you, that's a, a great example of that dynamic in Scripture. And I'm also thinking as you're sharing that about the statement, uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I, I also want to make sure that our listeners hear that we're not being um, unsympathetic or uncaring or cold when it comes to the things that are happening to people or around the world. Because the Scripture doesn't say that you, you meant it to be evil and God said it was good. No, it's what the purpose was what it accomplished. Was it evil that the brothers sold him and hated him and wanted to kill him? Yes. Was it evil that he was falsely accused and sent to prison? Yes. So I'm not going to say that sex trafficking and these other things are not evil. They are, but God can um, move in, even in the midst of these things and have his purpose be done in a way that brings honor to him, um, even when we don't fully understand it. Absolutely. And that's a good segue into another objection people often have is, doesn't God love us? I mean, I'm, there's so much suffering and evil in this world. Where, where's God's love in this? We're talking about him being in control, but what, where is his love? Yeah, I would, I would say that God's love is not voided by um, evil and suffering when those things enter into our world or into our lives. Um, because, again, going back to what we talked about even originally, that um, God's plan does allow for the choices of mankind. But he is compassionate in his justice um, that this world is not the end. 
it would, he would not be a loving God if, if evil and suffering came in and, and God said, you know, I'm just going to step back and let you guys kill each other off. I don't really care. I have no solution to this. I'm, I'm not going to intervene. But he has intervened. He is intervening in his, with his love and with his grace, and he will f- restore in the future. Uh, so I think that God uh, looks beyond those things, and if we look beyond those things with him, we can see his compassion even in times of evil and suffering. You look at the example of, of Job in the scriptures, and I'm, I'm turning my Bible here so I can uh, get the, uh, the verse that I want to read for you because I don't have it memorized off the top of my head. But Job 121, and many of our listeners are familiar with the story of Job and all that he went through and the suffering that he went through. And it says in Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So Job still sensed the presence of God there. I don't think he fully understood, but he still felt at that moment he could praise God, uh, that God's love was there in the giving, and God's love was even there in the taking away, um, because that's all-encompassing. God's love is not just one piece of the of the puzzle. It encompasses everything, even how God deals with evil and suffering. Love is there. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But love is even found in evil, evil and suffering um, through God. Yes, absolutely. So those are really good. I think that's a really good foundation, uh, points and thoughts to think through as we're wrestling with this. Let's move into the practicality. So how do I, how do we, how do the listeners apply this theology to evil and suffering? Well, I'm going to take each of those categories and just list a few ideas. And then if you want to share or or send some questions back my way, that would be great. So how do we apply this theology to evil and suffering? First of all, evil. I would say as believers, we should be encouraged that while evil appears to win many battles, and all you have to do is watch the news or, you know, look on your phone and look at the news feed, it appears that evil wins many battles. It will never overcome the love and power of God. Never will. God is never wringing wringing his hands in heaven going, that was a close one. I thought evil was going to overcome. I thought I might lose this whole war. The answer is no. God will um, overcome. He will overcome. Secondly, as believers, be encouraged that even in the darkest moments of evil, God reveals himself and can be found. If you take the time or if people would take the time uh, to read uh, some stories from the, from the past, and I have read some of these about Christians that were um, in the Holocaust or other very evil times in, in our history and how God showed up, even in those darkest moments. Even now you can read stories of persecuted uh, Christians that are in these uh, cells in, in North Korea and other places where they're being persecuted around the world. And God shows up in the most evil situations and he reveals himself. That's an encouragement to me. And, and thirdly, as believers, be encouraged that while evil is prevalent, it is temporary and the best is yet to come. That last point reminds me of um, a statement in Scripture. It's in Hebrews, uh, talking about Christ. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, 
we should have a similar mindset, right? For the joy set before us, we endure this life. It, it, similar situation. We look forward, um, and scripture calls us constantly to set our minds on the things above, not on earthly things, because we're supposed to be reminded daily that, like you said, this, this is evil is terrible and it looks like it's winning and, and it's, it's hard to go through, but we're looking forward to that day where it's gone. All, all, all tears are wiped away, you know, death and suffering and evil are, are, they're gone. And, and I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited about that. So that's good. How, how would you apply this to suffering? You, you applied it to evil. What about suffering? Well, I'm reminded in scripture of a few things about suffering as it relates to this theology. One is that God is always my best option in suffering. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, Psalm 121. Um, Also, I'm reminded that God allows us to express our pain and frustration in our times of suffering. Just spend some time in the Psalms, and God allows for the humanity of these authors in some really difficult times. So just because God is in control and, and, and oversees evil and suffering doesn't mean that he, he doesn't allow for us to express what's going on in our hearts, the pain and even anger that we're feeling sometimes. I'm also reminded that God expects us to, to aggressively ask him for help run to God in these times. He invites us to do this. That's really good. I, I, I want to land on those two points for a second where, um, yeah, we're, as Christians, we're, we're not just supposed to grit our teeth and, and just get through it. We have, I mean, two thirds of the Psalms are lament Psalms, which means they're crying out to God and, and they're, <laughs> the psalmists are real um, about their pain and their suffering and, and they don't sugarcoat it but they do it in the right way. So, uh, do you have any, uh, this, you know, this, this question is, you didn't prepare for this question. (laughs) So, um, but do you have any uh, just practical advice to how to lament and go to God? Cause you, uh, go to God well, because you mentioned going to the Psalms, which, which is good, but I've found that people, you know, sometimes we can go to God and in, yell at him or it's all your fault. So it's good to go to God, but we need to do it in the right way where how do we, so my question is how do we express our pain and frustration um, and ask him for help in the right way? Even if you have a, a, just a practical tip or two. Well, I I do think that uh, first of all, when we go to God in those difficult times, we can't fool God. So if we're like, I'm just going to say these certain words because, you know, it'll sound better. No, just open up your heart. Be be honest. Be raw in your expression. I think from the Psalms, I have learned that it is okay uh, to ask why or express, God, I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain. I, I'm, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm confused. I'm doubting. I'm struggling. Those are okay. And just even expressing it very specifically, God, I, what are you doing here? Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've been thrown, God. I am just beside myself. I think that's okay to do that. 
But I'm also reminded in the Psalms, and I know you said to you know, move away from the Psalms, but I'm taking the, the cue from them that how we, how we balance that with just being raw and open and honest before God, but also remember he's God, is saying, God, this is how I feel. This is, I have questions, but also please reveal yourself to me because he wants to do that. And also remind yourself of who he is. That's part of the lament because I love, there's, there's several psalms that where, the, where the psalmist says, why are the wicked getting away with this? Why is evil prospering? Why are my enemies chasing me? Why is this happening to me? And then by the end of the psalm, the psalmist says, um, put your hope in God. God will never fail you. He reminds himself, the psalmist does often, of the attributes and character of God after he spent a lot of the time going, I'm just really out of sorts here. And so that's part of the lament. Because why are we trying to hide our pain before God? He knows it already. Why do we do that? That's really good. And I've... I've I ask this question because um, a lot of us aren't very good at doing this. And sometimes it's for um, understandable reasons. We respect God's sovereignty and we, we, we see him as high and lifted up and holy. But sometimes that deters us from going to him because we say, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if I should go to God with my problems because um, he, he is so high and holy, but at the same time, he invites us, you know, God is near to the brokenhearted and he wants us to draw near to him during those times and not draw near to TV or those things that can't fix it. I heard it said once where I really liked is if you're at your job and, and you have, um, uh, something's not going well, you go to the person who can fix it. You go to your manager, right? You, you're not supposed to just complain to anybody. You're, you're supposed to go and say, hey, can you fix this? Because you have the power to do it. And the same way we go to the one who can fix it and can bear our burdens, we go to God, you know, and, and that's actually a sign of, of um, respecting who he is. You can fix this. So I'm going to bring it to you and, 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 you know, trust that you're going to do what's right and good and that you care and love for me. So I think that's... And- just one other thing as you're, we've been talking about the idea of lament is that I, I want to encourage our, our listeners not to be caught up in the idea because I think as believers we can do this sometimes. Don't get caught up in the idea that lament means that we're weak. Like I, I don't want to, I want you know, I need to be strong. I, I said that, but I'm kind of saying it the wrong way. I, I don't want them to think that don't use lament because it's a sign of weakness. But I do want us to use lament because it is a sign of weakness because we need to go to God and say, God, I am weak here because he wants to show his grace and strength in our weakness, according to Paul. But sometimes I think people don't open up to even to God because I don't want to reveal my brokenness. He wants us to. He wants us to open up about being weak. Because he, provi- he promises in this suffering to provide comfort and grace and healing. And then one of the things that, one of the most practical ways that, that suffering can be used, the theology of suffering, is that we will, if we allow God to heal us, if we allow God to minister to us, I'm absolutely convinced there'll be times in the future 
that we'll be able to help other people in their suffering. It may be in very similar situations, similar types of suffering or pain or loss, or it just might be in general the idea of them going through something difficult. God will use us. He, he, he wants to use us. Absolutely. And any other ways you'd like to practically apply this uh, theology to, to suffering? Uh, maybe just one, one final way, and that is, again, some of this goes back to my um, observation from a distance and reading about and just hearing about persecuted Christians around the world. I'm just so encouraged but also rebuked in my own life about how when I see their suffering, how the grace of God is on display in their lives that they, they can display a, such a sense of contentment and peace and patience and boldness. And, and I know they would say, well, it's not always like that, but what I'm seeing is a lot of that on display, even in the midst of great suffering and often just evil. And I see that and go, God, when, when, when these kind of things come my way on a much lesser scale, may your grace be on display in my life that way. Um, as I've seen in theirs. That's good. And I, I found that, you know, we want to be good stewards of the suffering that we suffer. If, if it's, even if it's on a small scale or maybe it's on a big scale, but when we look at people, um, in other countries that are, are really suffering for their faith on a grand scale, we should look at our own lives and saying, okay, um, I, I'm suffering on a much smaller scale, but I want to do that well. And part of that is, um, listening to this podcast and, and other resources and going to your Bible and really understanding what God is doing in evil and suffering. Because if we, we have a theology that, okay, I I can apply this to small suffering. And if it grows, I I can be faithful in that too. So we want to be good stewards of little and much. And, um, that's important. So this has been really helpful. Do you have any other thoughts, um, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just want to, I want to close with this, uh, just to remind our listeners that God is not unconcerned about evil and suffering. If you look back in, in, in our history and in, in our world, to me, the most evil, um, and, a most intense suffering uh, circumstance that took place was against Jesus Christ. Holy, perfect, innocent, undeserving of the evil perpetrated against him and the suffering that he went through. But God ordained that on our behalf so that we be, could be forgiven of our sins. So don't ever think that God is just stepping back and he, he doesn't really care about what's going on or he's unconcerned about evil and suffering. God used that evil and suffering in the life of Christ as the loving response to the greatest need that you and I would ever have, and that's forgiveness of our sins. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Very good. Do you have any resources you'd like to recommend? Uh, Somebody would like to do some more reading about this topic? Yeah, a, a few things I would recommend. Uh, a few, two books and then uh, one other thing that's just a small little booklet. Uh, the two books are Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by the late Timothy Keller 
And then Suffering, A Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense by Paul David Tripp. And then R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, has a little booklet called Why Is There Evil? I think these resources would be of help to people. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Pastor Jay. You're welcome. That's all the questions we have on Theology Matters, a podcast that applies theology to everyday life. Please join us next time for our topic, What Does It Mean When the Bible Says I Should Fear God? God bless. Yes, take care, Nick.